Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I am here with Nick Hare and Jordan Fermanis of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing the Mad Bird Design Agency. So, Nick, I know when you initially, we're actually you're in a good position to talk about this, because, or maybe, I don't know, because um, you, 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 you started a startup, right? Yeah. I think you were first going to call it Mad Aleph, and then you talked about Aleph Peach, and then... And Aleph yeah, Lee. Aleph Lee, yeah. And so, um, so, yeah, so what's this business with Mad Bird? What's it all about? Well, I was, there's a story on the BBC uh, a few days ago about a chap called Ali Ayad. Well, he might have been called that. Apparently, there's some doubt about his true name. But uh, he founded a design agency called Madbird. Yeah. <clears throat> Very design agency type name. Yeah. And uh, hired something like 50 people um, who were all hired on the basis of uh, the future commissions that they would earn and um, and visas. No, it's an agency. So it's fair enough. Maybe maybe they weren't salaried. It was like, we'll get you work. Yeah. And, you know, we'll pay you some share of the future work that you, you do and bring in and so on. Hmm. Um, and um, they, you know, got, as I said, everyone working there in inverted commas just believed that they were working for a design agency. Why wouldn't you? Anyway, then it turns out that a lot of the staff, some people got a bit suspicious about how successful they were, discovered that a lot of the staff were made up. So hmm. some of the senior the people on the website were like stock photos. Right. And they had totally made up uh, biographies and stuff. And also, sorry to interrupt, I think it was made possible by the fact um, pandemic, right? So it's all remote and people around the world internationally, that kind of thing. And although they kind of were physical offices, they weren't really. And oh, they so... were. Yeah, they were not offices at all. Yeah. They someone's house or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so uh, he then he basically disappeared as soon as people were on to him. I think the BBC tracked him down. But um I, I was what I found strange when I was reading this article was I was like I just found myself thinking well this sounds like most startups, you know mm. like like a lot of startups that they have to pretend to be bigger than they are they've mm. got to kind of base it on the on future success, and I I just I wonder if um, the problem here was simply that it didn't succeed that actually, um, you know the only reason it was a scam was because they didn't get any work um, right, I mean, because I don't it's I sort don't of think, true but keep going. yeah I don't really see that he benefited very much no. from doing it no other than perhaps his own ego or yeah. something um but it did make me think well you know because i so i felt like i could have been reading the origin story of a really successful startup but it turns out Saatchi that, and Saatchi. although that did go down at right, one point they did stuff like they hire offices actors, right? and, uh, yeah they did all of that and for, i mean uh, and, and it's not uncommon for people to you know set up email addresses for uh, members of staff who don't exist to try and make their company look like they've got more people in it and so on. Uh, all of these things, I'm not going to say they're, they're you know, totally legit, but they're... They're fairly sort of par for the course. Right. So I suppose the question we want to discuss is, what is the difference between a startup and a scam? Brilliant. Okay. I can. I think there was one, maybe two lines that definitely were crossed here. Mm. I think the first one, and, and sorry, Jordan, we'll come to you in a sec. Um, I, I feel I just interrupted you there, but well, yeah. Or do you want to? Do you want to say? Because well, I, I think there's one or two differences. I'm, you go for it. Yeah, I think on Nick's point that I think there were some pretty key differences between uh, a genuine sort of business and this. In this case, it seems as though this guy um, sort of lied and hid things and misrepresented 
himself and the company to all of the staff. Yeah, I think that's one um, key thing, the internal kind yeah. of um, uh, subterfuge. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of crosses the line between sort of genuine business and scam is when you start sort of spreading misinformation amongst your um, employees. But I think Nick's right in the sense that sometimes there is sort of um, ambiguities and, and sort of grey areas when you're starting up a business, um, especially in the startup world, it seems. Um, so I think maybe had this continued, had it gone long enough for the business to start generating revenue or something like that, it would eventually turn into a genuine, a genuine business. Mm. Um, so maybe it just got caught at that sort of period of time before it was able to flourish into a genuine business. Yeah. Um, actually, because this is a good case in point of, well, what well, is the difference between a startup and a scam? Because I think it's partly that the internal lying, let's call it. Um, and the second thing is the fact that people weren't paid. They weren't given a salary. Now, obviously, they were upfront about that. But that suggests, I think that is very unusual. Okay. Um, they were on the verge of getting contracts. Mm. They weren't far off. I think something else they did was pass off other people, other design agencies' work as their own. Um, yeah. And, so, so it's almost. But yeah. just to say before you come in, Nick, um, I think something. I think a, a normal business model for an agency is you know you start off small, you get a contract, and you and you start to employ more people almost per contract, and that's how you build the business. And I think that's what he was trying to do. And and. He, he was just on the wrong side of certain things. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the the, but of course, that's doing it by winning work is very old school. Really, having a well, I mean, if you think about, he's gonna, this guy's gonna have. You can tell by looking at him with his sort of smart outfit and his carefully groomed beard that he's got Silicon Valley startup mm. guy as his model, and the the idea that you build a business by winning work and using the revenue to grow is is very old fashioned is it? isn't it these days that's not how it's not if how you, you start a successful business well it, it is weirdly which is why you know we 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 um uh, are still in business but um yeah the, the model uh is is mainly to get investment on the promise of vast future earnings gotcha. get lots of investment grow very very quickly um and then get a product and a user base and then monetize you know some in some cases years down the line mm. but the point is that you know your everything is about future revenue and i think this guy sort of was really trying to jump start that process a similar thing to get start out by getting a big organization and then of course he can go into a boardroom and say oh here's my pitch we've got 50 talented young designers from all over the world you know, he, give us work, and and that that's obviously going to be a much better pitch than uh, you know, it's me and my mate, yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah, in a garage, yeah. So so it makes sense to me that his his approach actually is 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 a very standard one, even if it's not traditional. But it's always taking that kind of modern day, let's massively ramp up a company first, and then we'll get the work, which is the which is you know pretty much industry standard for Silicon Valley. And, and and you absolutely, I think you sort of, you kind of hinted at it and, you, and you're right. I think you're right in when you're talking about he was doing it in the new sort of way because actually you, you described the way he looked, but also I know a lot of the kind of the, the vocabulary was a very kind of influence, Instagramy, entrepreneurial, mm. that sort of, which is very sort of um, the way things are done now. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, we'll come to Jordan. And I've got a question I want to ask Jordan. Um, I, I think what Nick was just describing also sort of, reveals why startups are susceptible to scams is because you can raise capital 
essentially just off an idea mm. um, and venture capitalists will, will, will fund it even before you've actually like figured out the core sort of business fundamentals. Um, so I think that leaves open the possibility for scammers to, to sort of come in and, and do their dirty work. I, mm. I think it might be worth briefly it's a quick one as well. I know you hate it when I start talking about um, the something or other act of 1978. But I don't the, mind that. The, definition, the yeah. definition of fraud is really nice and neat, actually, in the UK. Okay. Fraud Act 2006. There's uh, essentially three ways you can commit fraud. Cool. Uh, which are false representation. Yeah. Uh, failure to disclose information and abuse of position. Now, th this these these really... He definitely did at least two of those it three. Will be, it will be some of the first two. But in order to, to do false representation, it needs to be dishonest. You need to say something which is both false and which you know to be false. Yeah. And also that you there is an intent to gain from it. Yeah. And it's and it's uh, very similar, but with the failure to disclose information, that only really applies if you're legally obliged to reveal that information, which actually... You know, you, you would you would only be in a small number of cases, but I think here we, we was, that, you know, was that the second point? Was that still part of the first? Uh, no, um, that's the that's that sort of fraud style number two. That's number that's yeah, number, number two, three okay. is only like if you're yeah. Elton John's accountant kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, so so in order, the gist is that you need to intend to gain, and you need to know it's a lie. Mm. And I think that that is you know where the, so what whether it's a lie, whether it's dishonest. That's the interesting grey area here. Like this guy probably sincerely believed that this was going to be a big, you know, sort of success. So when he was saying to people, oh, yeah, you've know, got all this work lined up, that doesn't – is that a lie or is that just, you know, a kind of delusion? Absolutely. And I think – and also the delusion and, and, you know, all the sort of the best lies or the biggest liars, you know, the liar themselves doesn't always realise that they're lying. They believe it himself. And I'm prepared to sort of, you know, he's somewhere in that line. But look, I mean, yes, you've done some definitions of fraud there. Well, I, I thought it might be worth looking at one case study, which is quite well known. I don't know if you've looked at um, whether Jordan's looked at Theranos at all. Yeah. Yeah, did you what did what did you unearth about there? What's what, <laughs> what was the woman's out? name? Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth. Because for all you do, I feel I feel we've answered this. No, no, no. Have we not? No, there's no, a lot no, more no, to no. delve into yeah. here. Yeah. Well, let, let's hear from Jordan. My only point with that is that I think there's sort of this What is Theranos? What happened? I don't know about it. Yeah, so this uh, Theranos was founded by a university dropout called Elizabeth Holmes, who really oh, yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah, be yeah. she wanted to be the next Steve Jobs. Um very ambitious. Uh, she basically had this idea for a portable device that would perform all the blood tests that you normally get, but it mm. would be work, work on a finger a finger prick test and mm -hmm. um, and would be portable. So you could just have this in a supermarket, for example, go and get a blood test, find out, you know, 100 different blood tests all performed at once. Um, and it, now this is in just impossible. I mean, the current state of, you know, medical of blood testing as i understand it is such that this is just not possible you know that there's it's these things are actually extremely uh, complicated and um, mm -hmm. you know mechanically intensive and mm -hmm. require uh, blood to be drawn in much higher quantities and and all of that so but she still managed to build up this company over the space of about 10 years and by 2013 had convinced um uh, a company called uh, Walgreens, which we don't have here, but which I think is a chemist or something in the US, uh, to supposedly sort of commercialise it, became a real celebrity in Silicon Valley, Got went to the White House, won mm -hmm. awards for being a young entrepreneur. 
uh, had, if you can believe this, Henry Kissinger and George Schultz on the board. Good Lord. And so basically managed to build up this huge momentum and a $9 billion valuation around a product that didn't exist and, in fact, couldn't exist, right? So the interesting thing about Theranos is that when it started, I think she probably, probably naively, um, believed that this was a real idea for a product that could be successful. Mm. And then it sort of snowballed into this thing that eventually her and the company had this culture of basically lying about how they were getting on, um, faking results, you know, f literally faking bits of technology that they didn't have, um, and and you know, buying buying uh, uh, bits of technology and putting their branding on it and pretending they'd made it, and all these kinds of things, threatening people with lawyers, uh, and eventually the whole thing came crashing down in a way that was extremely satisfying. If you if you don't like people who are lying scumbags, well, so here's the thing, right? Um, so it. it it's, it's when you yourself personally start to invest so much in it, maybe start to believe it and certain practices mm. become normal to sustain that. And, and, and then you get sort of outside, you get invest other investors and, in, and, and it just becomes this big thing that mm. you just have to keep feeding that what, what, what was once a small lie, let's mm. say, or even a small deviation from the truth, right? So here's the question. First of all, I mentioned Saatchi and Saatchi, okay, mm. who, you know, for those who don't know, um, advertising agency essentially was set up by the Saatchi brothers in the, the 80s. The 1980s yeah, advertising agency. Of. Yeah, me of. Yeah. And so they had a certain amount of chutba, you know, yeah. um, and how they started out, I believe, was they would get clients to come to their offices, but they would hire a load of actors for the day. Yeah, and, and they'd hire offices and do oh, really, Right, yeah. there you go. They went on to become a, a huge success. Now, they... In some ways, they failed, but for different reasons to do with overextension, overexpansion into areas nothing to do with the, the, the core business. But anyway, here's my question. There is an agency, a startup, that was a success, mm. which had some arguably dodgy practices at the beginning. Now, were their practices better or worse than what we're talking about? That's the first thing. But secondly, the point I'm making are there loads of successful companies out there who, who we would be talking about this in one way as a scam, but actually just because the business worked yeah. out? That's my question. Jordan? Yeah, I think that's that's true. But I think to take the Theranos example, like I think there was some very... Saatchi and Saatchi seem is still like, a, even though they might have engaged in some malpractice or some dubious ethical things, um, fundamentally they were still like a business. Whereas I think I agree. the difference with Theranos and Madbird is that there was very little that you could say about them that would resemble a genuine business. Like I think it was, it was essentially a complete fraud. It feels well, to me there is a line. Yeah, yeah. but it's but that, I mean that that's the trouble. So it's sort of Theranos. It's the hardware equivalent of vaporware. Um, you know, which is an idea for a product, or you know, what soft, software that doesn't exist yet, but you can develop it. I think there is a difference to the extent that. We know that advertising agencies are a real thing, and it actually doesn't take very much to develop one. If I say I'm starting an advertising agency, in a sense, me saying that is the same as starting one, right? I might not be a very good advertising agency, but I can at least be an advertising agency immediately. Yeah. If I say I'm going to invent a device which uh, levitates you, I, I'm, I'm not. I still haven't done that. It's, you know, so there, there is that thing about sort of technological futures. But, that, but you know, at the same time, you look at some preposterous claims made by people like, um, you know, Steve Jobs in, in an interview with 
Playboy in the early 80s said, um, you know, it's going to people are people are going to buy a computer for their home and link it into a nationwide communications network. That's mad talk. I know it's insane. And Bill Gates saying he wanted in 1980, I want a computer in on every desk and in every home. Won't happen. Preposterous claims made by these deluded startup types, which they in no small part made true. Mm. So I even on the kind of technology front, being able to sort of um, Bit, having a, a vision for a product, it, you know, can help make that product real and make that market exist. So, uh, I mean, having said that, you know, there are these some interesting things about the kinds of people who start companies. For so, one thing to bear in mind is that um, a lot of businesses fail. Yeah. Um, curiously, not as many as people think, actually. In the first two years, about 20% of new businesses fail. Now, that's fail in the sense that they have to shut down. I mean, a lot of them will just be doing very little. But 20% really fail. And, and after 10 years, 65% of, of new businesses, this is in the US, have failed. In that regard, I think when you set a company up, you probably have to be, uh, there has to be an element of optimism bias. You know, th- being a big success is 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 very rare. So mm. when you set a company up, you know, on average, all of those people can't be right that their idea, and in fact, most of them are wrong that their idea is going to make them make them loads of money. So there has to be an element of optimism bias. There's also, so there's, there's that kind of, first of all, is it possible to believe slightly outlandish things about your prospects for success? But the other ingredient, which is, are you likely to um, do unethical things to try and ensure that success? You know, we know that, CEOs are more likely to be psychopaths. Mm. Um, so some, one estimate I saw is something like ten times more likely to be to be a psychopath than an average member of the public. And of course, one of the traits of a psychopath is that they don't care about about doing unethical things um, in order to protect their own position. And even the ones who aren't clinical psychopaths are likely to have elements of that. You know, why I'm you know? looking at you like this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so I, yeah, so I, so I sort of think not, it's not just, it, it, you know, I think there is an element of delusion, um, about some of these things that are on the cusp, but, um, but actually there are reasons to think it's probably even worse, you know, in, in, or at least there's a kind of intrinsic tendency for this kind of thing to happen. This reminds me, I don't know if I cut you off there. This reminds me of my first foray into the corporate world because I was a teacher for a number of years and came back to the UK and I worked as a sales guy, a telesales guy, right? And, um, and so we would, I worked in the conference industry in, for financial conferences. So basically I was cold calling bankers, insurers, that kind of stuff. And it was actually, in retrospect, something I didn't quite realise at the time, it was a very, very sales-driven company. Now, that may sound an obvious thing, but it's, it's not actually, because most conference companies would have maybe one sales guy selling um, a ten, uh, delegate seats on a conference. This uh, company would have three people selling it, cold-calling people, okay? Um, but the key thing is, I remember, we had a, a sort of script that you would work to, mm. and the conference is two months out, you haven't got anyone but you call up your first person, limited spaces. Yeah. I'm calling you now. Unless you do this right now, um, you're not gonna yeah. you're not gonna come. Okay. It, I mean, it was clearly not true. However, I felt comfortable more or less saying that truth because what I did understand, if you don't say to people, look, you need to make a decision now, the conference will never happen. Okay. Or people only book on the last minute. You won't get as many. But but 
you know, it's because you you believe it, you, you make it true, you make yeah, the I truth. Think you're, you're doing something you know. very similar to yeah. companies that rely on a network effect yeah. in order to be successful. Exactly. So, you know, Facebook needs to, well, Facebook didn't. It had a small user base to begin with. But if I started my own social media company now, I would have to pretend that everyone wanted to be on it. Yes. Otherwise, no one would want to be on it. Yeah. So there has to be that pretense first. And then in terms of that sort of um, that conference company, what would definitely be a lie would be to go would be to sell them a, a conference that was irrelevant to them. Let's say there was mm. no point in them going to it. But somehow sort of, you know, that would that would be a lie. And that's something, you know, frankly felt pointless to do. And, we, and no one ever did. But I think it's a it fine line, similar. to be honest. I think yeah. you're, you're basically trying to absolve yourself from you what reckon? you know was a massive fib. Because um, yeah, it actually not, bugs the hell I out of me. I feel really you know comfortable that, with it. You know that I hate marketing people anyway, but yeah. that, that's the kind of thing that really hacks me off. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. you're booked now to avoid disappointment. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I was a great, yeah, but I was a great sales guy. Anyway, I digress. Where are we? Look, we, we, we need to kind of move towards a conclusion. I don't feel we've got to the bottom of this. It, it just feels like scam startup. Yes, they are similar. There's a little bit of a line that everyone kind of intuitively feels knows what it is. Have we, uh, come on, haven't we, well, can't I've got we add a more? Of, I just have a couple of things okay. to say. One, and I think this is more like, well, you're looking for red flags, right? Yeah. So, I, and I think one of them um, is um, uh, probably the sort of, well, I don't, I'm not as familiar with this one, but um, apparently very rapid hiring. So okay. if you get hired, if so, if you if you say to someone, yes, I'd like to join your company, and they go, great, you're in, that's a bad sign. Mm. Um, and uh, but but also the type, just the type of technology, I think, is another thing. The type of product um, sh should now, in this case, actually, it wouldn't have Madbird wouldn't have flashed red, but because it, you know, I'd, we know that Mark, that those kinds of agencies are. Um, are, uh, exist and there's no reason that one shouldn't have been successful mm. but in particular like the i think recently the big startup successes have been in an industry i.e sort of software essentially that is uniquely like really uniquely suited to that kind of model um you know what they always say about is sort of if cars are developed at the same rate as computers, then a car would be getting four million miles to the gallon. You know, mm. at the moment, um, it just happens to be the case that with with a, pro, a kind of software product, you, you you can kind of create them and market them, and you get millions of users very quickly. It's much harder to do that with a, a real thing, with a thing that has to be produced in a factory. Uh, shipped out to shops, customers have to pick it up or buy it online. You know, it's, it's much harder to do that. And it's particularly if it's a technology that doesn't exist yet, you know, a real kind of mechanical technology that doesn't exist. So, you know, I, I um, you things like Airbnb and Uber, like they got very big very quickly, but that's, it's easy for them to do that. There's no kind of startup costs. We shouldn't be thinking that that's normal. That's a really unusual characteristic of this industry. Whereas I would say, you know, if Elon Musk came up to me and said, I've got this great idea, it's called SpaceX and we're going to be on Mars. Um, or he said, I've got this idea for, you know, for sort of traveling at the speed of sound between cities in a giant tube. That would be a red flag if it weren't for the fact it was Elon Musk. Mm. Yeah. So, so 
that's that's just I think my my observation is that you know the the model that we've all got in our head from the last sort of thirty years of um, a startup looks like this. Mm. You know, if that if you're not talking about software, you should be really suspicious of that claim. Yeah, and also it was it goes back to what you said at the beginning. I think you sort of corrected me uh, quite nicely, which is. And I, and I said, oh, isn't this how you start an agency is you get a, a contract and you build on that. And you said, no, phrase that's really old school, you know, and 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 what you just and that's accurate from what you've just described. It doesn't really work like that anymore, certainly for the sorts of areas that we're talking about. Um, I, so I, I've got a question I probably want to ask. Um, Jordan, anything to add at this point? I think the other thing that is interesting for me is I think there's also in recent years, there's this sort of mythology around Silicon Valley and startups that's that's developed um, through figures like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and these sort of founder visionaries that I think means that there's a lot of people out there that when they have an idea, they try to sort of emulate what they think mm. those guys did. It's a na naturally kind of hyperbolic um, yeah. universe there, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I think... To go to Nick's points about about red flags, I'd say another red flag would be if the if the boss was sort of seemed as though he was trying to uh, you know be this visionary that takes over the world. That could be a potential red flag, yeah. Um, because sometimes they might do whatever they think it takes to kind of yeah. live up to that, even deceptive or dubious practices. Everyone wants to be like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, but not poor old. Poor old Bill Gates. No. <laughs> you know, he's one of the most successful. He's just not cool enough. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, listen, um, newsflash just in. I think um, Kevin Costner, he's a scammer, right? Um, what build the hell it, are you talking about? Build it and they will come. Oh, you mean his, the character that he played in a film? Yes. Oh, but he okay. would know because he was lying because he wasn't really that guy. Right. He was pretending uh, to be yeah. that person. Mm. Good grief. <laughs> torn down the veil yeah um i think a lot of what we're talking about here is, is sometimes it's it's just the stretching of the truth and there's a point where it breaks right um so my question to you is this what is your best stretching of the truth that you've ever done or um yeah give us an example of you stretching the truth yeah so i think um you know having been a startup founder guy myself Oh I think God. it's probably uh, fair to say that. And this is very much, this is not exactly stretching the truth, but it's a sort of, a mish, if you if you like, a kind of uh, failure to correct people's impressions, let's say, okay. um, was that when I started the company, it was just me. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, we're very clear that it was going to be a company. Yeah. And it was Aleph Insights. Yeah. Nice business cards, properly designed logo, nice looking website. Yeah. You know, we were a company. I didn't want people to assume that it was just me. Yeah, you know, at home. But in, in fact, your bedroom. in fact, I was. But you know, I didn't. I didn't say that wasn't true. I didn't claim to have massive central London offices or anything like that. But you know, I, so I and I think it really did help. It helped uh, be taken seriously. I don't by think you people. stretched anything with that, by the way. But. Well, it's more that you... Because one person can be a company. I'm, I mean, it's true, but I'm happy to give the impression that, uh, you know, we're a startup that people probably imagined we had an office somewhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they probably, you know, imagined, you know, we were doing bits of work for people, um, which, yeah. you know, to be at the start, obviously, like any company, we weren't. So, so yeah, I, I think that's it. I, and, I, and I'm really glad I did, actually, because I think that, you know, just saying from the outset, I know it's just me, but actually... Aleph Insights is going to be a bigger thing than just me. 
So let's act like a proper company. Um, and that actually, that's a, a piece of advice I always give anyone starting a company. It's like, take yourself really seriously. Get everything to look nice. Get your branding done properly so that you feel like the company is something other than just you. Um, and I'm sure it's a big success factor. I, I thought you were going to say, fake it until you make it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got some wise words here, so you might want to write this down. Uh, that listeners you as well, which is a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I'll just leave you with that. Then yeah, for a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll let you that sort of you know, yeah. pause with that. Um, I don't think you stretch the truth enough. I mean, you must have done way more than that, Nick. But we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we won't push you on that. Uh, Jordan? I think in a similar vein to Nick, when I was freelancing writing, I often had to stretch the truth a little bit to sort of back up my credentials as to why I would um, get some work. And also, I think as Nick was sort of alluding to, you in some ways you have to, like you, if you have to know your worth, in, especially when you're freelancing, if you're telling someone what your rate is, for example, or something, and maybe it's not exactly tied to some fact or truth, but you, it's something that the business, it's just how it works and you kind of need to, you need to do it. Um, and that does require maybe stretching the truth a little bit. Um, but I think that's just... Le jeu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and remember, it's not fraud unless you're legally obliged to disclose that information. There you go. That's, yeah, nice. Um, some good advice there for our, any potential temp oh, people. Oh, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> should probably say I'm not a lawyer. Um, but look, it's interesting. I mean, of course, we were talking about the world of work, and the, both the examples you gave, Stretching the Truth, are in the world of work. But there's, I think part of that is because, um, you know, even whether you're starting a site up, because you mentioned freelance and starting your own company, I mean, the whole world of work is actually kind of pretending a bit, mm. I think, which is, there's a, I mean, broadly speaking, certainly for 90% of people or more, there's a reason why you get paid to do work, which is, you know, you probably don't like it much. You wouldn't do it if you didn't get paid. I actually feel lucky um, because, you know, I do get paid to do stuff that I like, that I enjoy. But for most of my career, that has not been the case. And you kind of have to, every day, you have to do a daily sort of, you know, pretend, right? I think you're unpicking adult life there, actually. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think when you pull on this thread hard enough, yeah. you'll find that e almost everything we do starts to unravel, mm. you yeah. know. But it's probably a topic for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just briefly, I mean, having spent, um, you know, a lot of my life in sales, I, you know, I spent my whole life stretching the truth and, <laughs> and, and beyond. Um, and on a personal front, I'm sure I do it all the time as well. Um, I cannot think of one single example because this is like every day for decades, there's been lots of them. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, look, let's stop there. Um, like that time you killed a shark, then a tiger, but you pretended you'd also, <laughs> also killed an octopus. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Well, it's just great storytelling, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we've got anything to add, right? No. Okay, right. Let's stop there. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. I've been here with Jordan Fermanis and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>